Alright, so we are in Revelation chapter 6. And I want you to, while you're in Revelation 6, I want you to also open up and go to Matthew 24. So keep your finger on Matthew 24, and then also maybe put a bookmark on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So before I start going through chapter 6, I want to explain what I'm going to do tonight. First off, I'm going to show you, of course, what Revelation 6 teaches, but also while teaching the truth of Revelation 6, I also want to debunk... Uh, what a lot of the pre-tribbers teach. Because let's just face it, they are the main opposition when it comes to what we teach. In the Baptist world, the pre-trib doctrine is the uh, main uh, belief that most people have accepted. And But you're going to see, when we go through Revelation 6 and we compare it with Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it leaves no doubt that these are all the same events in all three of these passages. And if Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 are the same event, which they clearly are, and 2 Thessalonians 2 also lines up with the events of those, then it takes away their argument that says that's all for the Jews. You know, Revelation 6 is for the Jews. Matthew 24 is for the Jews. It just absolutely destroys that because it is clear the timeline of events are the same. Because people will say, when you bring up Matthew 24, well, who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews. That's for them. Well, in 2 Thessalonians 2, who's Paul talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to Thessalonians. And if Paul lays out the exact same order of events as Jesus did in Matthew 24, and that John wrote in Revelation 6, then I think it's safe to say it's all the same event. And you got to understand what pre-trivers will end up doing, all right? Because they like to act like they preach all the Bible, but they don't. And we're going to see how there are some very key events in here that they never talk about. And there's a reason they don't talk about these events, because if people study these events, it's going to lead them to conclusions they don't want them to come to. So what they will do is they will try to find something that looks a little different. They will ignore all the things that are exactly the same. They'll say, well, they're similar, but they're not the same. And so what they'll do is they'll take a spot where something's worded a little bit different and they'll apply a completely different meaning to it because here's how they study their Bible. When they study end times, they study it with this attitude. We know the rapture is before the tribulation. So they read their Bible... In a way, they study everything trying to make it fit that. And when they do that, they end up having to be very dishonest with the Scriptures and they have to ignore a lot of Scripture. But that's one thing that's nice about the post-trib doctrine. We don't have to ignore anything. You know, For us, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. We don't need to ignore anything. We'll use the Old Testament. We'll use the Gospels. We'll use the New, well, Paul's writings. We'll use John's writings. They all go together perfectly. And so I'm going to show you this. and how They line up together in a way that just leaves no room for doubt. Okay, So we'll start reading Revelation 6, but keep your finger in Matthew 24. We're going to be going back and forth and seeing the cross-references on these quite a bit. So it says in verse 1, Revelation 6, "...and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, and one of the four bees saying, Come and see." And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So I need to remind you of a couple things. All right, last week we uh, we looked and I showed you how that um, the seals they are not the wrath of God. I proved that to you that the book, all right, inside the book is the wrath of God. We do not see the wrath of God until until the book is opened. And that book cannot be opened until all seven seals have been broken. And when we see the seventh seal broken, then we see the wrath of God. Okay? And you got to understand that. So these events, these are not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not revealed until the book is open. And we, we covered that, we covered that last week. So now, what, so what's going on? So what are these seals? Okay? What, what's happening right here? Well, remember, in week one, we looked at how the things that are in the book of Revelation, John is writing down the things that he saw. And these things that he, are, that he sees, many of these things are symbolic. They're not necessarily literal. 
Okay? And there's things that we're supposed to learn from it. And, and so right here, when Jesus breaks the first seal, God reveals to him, I believe, the Antichrist. All right? Here we have what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. All right? And the first one is the white horse. And it is, he has a bow and a crown was given unto him. Uh, given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And a lot of times, too, when uh, and I'm not going to do this tonight, people like to prove how smart they are, to prove how well they know this passage. Okay, What they're going to do is they like to zero in on obscure things because they need to eat up their time before they get to the end of this chapter so they can just breeze through it real quick. Because the end of this chapter is where everything gets really clear. So what they'll do is say, notice the bow right there. But there's no arrows. You know, and then they'll they'll go into all that stuff, and it's like, who carries around a bow without arrows? All right, you know, he's got a bow. You know, just the, you know, we're not going to get hung up on stuff like that. All right, I'm not going to prove to you tonight that he has arrows. All right, I just, I think they're missing the point. Here's what's being revealed. Okay, this is what's being revealed. All right, if we, they would rather ignore the obvious. If we pay attention to the obvious. We're going to get to the truth of the matter and they can't have that. So they want to focus on the obscure. That is Rutmanite or Rutpardation 101. That's how they work. Alright, but what's being revealed is the Antichrist is being revealed. The Antichrist is coming on the scene is what we see happening. And interestingly enough, in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 3, it says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. What's the first thing that Jesus mentions when he's talking about the signs of his coming? Alright? First thing he mentions, Many are going to come in my name. What do we call those? Antichrists. Antichrists are going to come. That's the first thing. That's the first sign. And he says, let no man deceive you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice how Paul says the exact same thing that Jesus did. Hey, before His coming, Antichrist is going to come on the scene. Same thing. Let no man deceive you. It's almost as though... The Apostle Paul is speaking under the inspiration of the one who spoke in Matthew chapter 24. Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly what was happening. So we know that before Jesus Christ returns, that the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Now, 2 Thessalonians, it doesn't go through each thing that we see in Matthew 24 and Revelation 6. But 2 Thessalonians 2 does hit some of the highlights. And the first thing that it mentions when talking about our gathering together, uh, just like a gathering that we see in Matthew 24, where I heard a preacher the other day say, you know, that gathering, that's not the same as the rapture that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. Because it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord Himself. In Matthew 24, He sends His angels to gather together the elect. In 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord Himself. Matthew 24, sends His angels. You all see the difference there? Um, first off, when it, does, when it says the Lord Himself, that doesn't necessarily mean all by Himself. Okay, It's just meaning it's the Lord Himself that's in the clouds. Okay, And the thing is, God sending His angels to do something is Him doing it. Do you all get that? Okay, God delegates a lot of things. And I've talked about that before. That, once again, that is an argument of desperation. That is a foolish argument. 
And a lot of these things too, you know, they, most of these guys, they wouldn't say this stuff talking to you because they know you just throw that right back in their face, but they'll preach it in their churches knowing that this is what the people want to hear. And so it's good, it's good enough for them. They'll accept it. But that is just a foolish, foolish argument. And so, uh, but we know Antichrist is going to come first. That's what we see there in Revelation 6, the white horse, the first seal, Antichrist comes on the scene. Look at verse 3 of Revelation 6. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. What's that talking about? War? No, because he's got a sword, but notice there's no blood on it. No, I'm just kidding. You know, that's the, that's the type of thinking they, they do. No, it's talking about war right there. Okay? There's going to be war that's going to come on the scene. And notice what it says in Matthew chapter 24 in verse 7. After it talks about many are going to come in my name, saying, I am Christ, shall deceive many. After all that in verse 7, he says, for uh, verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, Antichrist is going to come. And then we've got wars. In Revelation 6, the first seal, Antichrist. Second seal, war. The red horse. Let's look at the third seal. Verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So here this third seal, this black horse, clearly is talking about famine. Alright? A great famine is going to be going on on the earth during that time. And in Matthew chapter 24, he says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines. So right there, three things in a row in the exact same order. And then, in this fourth seal, verse 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto him them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So this fourth seal is death and hell. There's just people dying like crazy. They're dying from the wars. They're dying from the famines and the pestilences and all these things that are going on. Just, I mean, th- people are just dying like crazy. It mentions the fourth part of the earth. I mean, just imagine. I mean, we're talking like 2 billion people dying in a short period of time. And notice in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 7, after it says, For nation rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. So I believe that pestilence uh, that it's talking about there, that's like what we see going on with the pale horse. And one of the things that they say too, which is kind of a natural thing, when you have you know, wars, especially on a large scale, usually what follows great wars are great famines. And what usually causes great, uh, follows great famines is a lot of sickness and death and disease that spread. And so when we're having wars like never before and then we're having famines like never before, we're going to have pestilences like never before. And not to mention that, there's going to be earthquakes going on in diverse places. And so you know what? We see that people are just going to be dying left and right. I mean, this world is just, you know, tearing itself apart. And a lot of it, what's going on, all these things that are going on here, notice nothing is supernatural. Nothing supernatural has taken place yet. This is all normal stuff. This is stuff we see that happens today. This stuff has all happened throughout history. I just saw, I think, t- today or yesterday, there was an earthquake in Georgia. A little one. Uh, but, you know, I guess that, you know, they were making a big deal about it. Somebody posted a picture on it. It had, like, lawn furniture and a chair was falling over. And it said, you know, survive the earthquake, whatever. We will rebuild, <laughs> you know. And uh, I-, I love how dramatic some people get. You know, all the California people are all probably just like, you know. 
It's kind of like somebody else, they did a picture too. I guess they got snow in Florida. And it like showed these people like climbing up a mountain. It was like, you know, people from Florida, how they felt, you know, going to work today. Because, you know, while all of us, we look at that and we, we scoff at that too. But, um, you know, all these, all these things, they're just, these are natural, or these are natural things. But understand, a lot of the natural things that go on that are bad, the disease and everything, it's the way God made this earth as kind of a way to deal with sin. What did the Bible say? In the Old Testament, when he told them, if you're going to act, if you're going to, you know, be doing the abominations, you know, the man lying with man and things like that that the other nations did, the Bible said the land itself vomiteth out the inhabitants. And I believe that's a reference just to all the diseases and things that would be going on. And so when you look at how wicked this world is, when you look at all the immorality and everything, I mean, when you look at the disgusting way people live, what do you think is going to happen in the United States after wars and after famines? You know, you know people aren't going to be able to get their medications and things like they can. You know people aren't going to be able to have the same cleanliness habits like we do in our country today. And do you think that these sodomites and stuff are going to, you know, change their lifestyle while all this stuff's going on? No, they're going to continue being the sick, disgusting animals they've always been without access to a lot of these things. It's probably protecting some of them from all the diseases and stuff. And so there's, I mean, it's going to be bad. And then think about just all the lawlessness that's going to be going on during these times because you know the police are going to be pretty busy. And, you know, and so can you just imagine what would go on in this country if people like the sodomites just could do whatever they wanted to do. I mean, it's scary to think about. You know, thankfully we've got some, you know, some law and order in our country, but just imagine you see these people in these gay pride parades and just, you know, the way they are, imagine if they were just turned loose. I mean, it would, it would be horrible. And so it's real easy to see and just imagine how death is just going to spread like crazy during this time. And said, and the thing is, it's things aren't changing, right? They're recruiting in mass numbers, and it, it's the longer the Lord tarries, you know, the easier it is to see how all this stuff could start. But don't, once again, none of it supernatural. Nothing supernatural has happened yet. People say, "Well, I, you know, I see Jesus is up there in heaven breaking the seals." The broken seals are not. Jesus causing judgment. The broken seals is Jesus revealing things to John. Y'all get that? That's what's going on. Jesus is breaking those seals and with each one of those, an angel says, come and see. And John is seeing a vision of what's to come before His coming, before the end of the world. What did the disciples ask? What are the signs of Thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus tells them, here's the signs. And the <clears throat> Revelation 6, these seals are the signs of what's going to happen before His coming. So the rapture has not happened yet. So let's look at this fifth seal. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, When He had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them? to dwell on the earth, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, if you look in Tim LaHaye's Charting the End Times book and you're looking at his diagram of all the judgments, when you look at the fifth seal judgment, you know what he says? Martyrs are given robes or something like that. How is that a judgment? Okay, that's not a judgment. Does anybody see any judgment here in this fifth seal? Is God judging the martyrs? I mean, they, that, that's ridiculous. Okay, the martyrs are being revealed during this time. And we see there's a special place in heaven. The souls of them, not their bodies, because the rapture hasn't come yet, their souls are under the altar and they're asking the Lord when He's going to judge them. Why didn't Jesus say, what do you think I've been doing with the four seals? You know, I brought the Antichrist and the wars and the famines and the pestilences. He's like, it's not time yet. And yet, all these bozos want to say, 
It all looks like the wrath of God to me. Well, it didn't look like it to the martyrs because they're asking, when are you going to judge and avenge our blood? Because He hasn't done it yet. Does that not just make sense? Is that common sense, folks? I, I hate to confuse you with clear Scripture, but it clearly has not happened yet. And this is not a judgment. Stop saying seven seal judgments. This is not a judgment. He's revealing to John the martyrs. And so he's telling them, I'm not going to deal with the world until the rest of the martyrs come. Okay? There's still more to come. There's more who are going to be killed. Alright? That's important to note. And so, we need to understand that people here right now are not done being martyred. And while the details are not covered in this chapter, it is crystal clear that there are a lot more martyrs to come. He flat out says it. And that's what we're going to, we see later when we talk about the mark of the beast. Okay? When he says right here, you know, he's telling there's more that are going to come. It doesn't give us the details right now about it, but we do get the details later when it talks about the mark of the beast, when it talks about the Antichrist making war with the saints and prevailing over them. That is a, that is a chapter that is going into detail what Jesus referred to right here in Revelation chapter 6. Okay? So, uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. And during the fifth seal period and before the sixth seal, okay? So if we're thinking about timelines, during the fifth seal period and before the sixth seal, before the sixth seal, is where we would place the implementation of the mark of the beast. Okay? After, because this, you know, what I think is going to happen during this time, while everything's going crazy, the world's out of control, in order to try to get things in control, in order to try to control these famines, they're going to have to get control of the monetary system. And you know, one of the things they're going to have to do too, after all this war, they're going to have to figure out how to have unity. And so what are they going to do? Take the mark and worship the beast. It's time that we all unite. It's time that we all come together. It's time we all have one country, that we be one people. It's time we stop letting religion you know, destroy our world and cause all the fighting that's going on. And I personally believe, this is just my opinion, I personally believe that a lot of the fighting that's going to be going on in the world is going to be the Antichrist fighting the Muslims. I think the Muslims are being spread out all over the world to destabilize the world. And they are going to be the ones that are going to be fighting that Antichrist system in the name of Allah. And I believe that the Antichrist is going to defeat him which you know is going to make the Fox News Baptists love the Antichrist. Big time. But I, I, that's what I personally believe. And I'll probably talk more about that later, why I think that. But either way, they're going to say, you know, it, it was a religious war and all that. It's time we put these things aside. It's time we move on. We're in an age of enlightenment. We know better than to think that there is a God. There's just man. You know, let's just, let's just unite. You know what? Let's worship one of ours, one of us, and the Antichrist, and he's just going to declare himself to be God. That's what I personally think is going to happen, how I think it's going to play out. And of course, during that time, assuming I'm still alive during that time, people like myself, we're planning on not listening. We're planning on not submitting to the higher powers during that time, because we're going to be submitting to the highest power, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ during that time, and planning on shaking things up a little bit. I plan on causing as much trouble as possible during that time. And I'm going to try to survive, but I don't know. Chances are I'll probably get killed during that time too. And oh well, no big deal. i got a special place in heaven waiting for me under the throne. So big deal. Not worried about that. But anyway, so you know, this right now, the, you know, the mark of the beast is not revealed right now during the seals, but it is shown during the vision of the beast. So we'll see that later. So now go back to Matthew 24. So in Revelation 6 now, just like in Matthew 24, it covers Antichrist, wars, famines, pestilences. And then in the fifth seal, it talks about the martyrs. Well, look what Jesus starts talking about in Matthew 24, verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The wars, famines, and pestilences. Those are the beginning of sorrows. 
That's going to be what, you know, the, the first signs. But then, after that, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you should be hated of all nations for my sake. What's that called? That's called being a martyr. And they, many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So right here, Matthew 24, we've got the martyrs. Same order. Five seals in a row. The five things, they're all in order. And now Matthew 24, though, Matthew 24, it includes more details of what's in between the fifth and the sixth seal. Okay? It includes more details. And additional details, I say this a lot, I'm going to say it again, additional details do not create additional events. Alright? In case you all got any ructardation in you, additional details do not create additional events unless those details clash with each other. Okay? It doesn't, just because we learn more details about what's going on, it doesn't mean it's a different event. It just means we're getting a deeper look in these, at, at, at what's going on. But what do the Rachmanites want to do? They want to create different events. That's why they have three Gospels. That's why they have two raptures. That's why they have two brides. You know, that's why, that's why they have all these things, because they see an extra detail in there. Oop. You know, makes it a totally different Gospel. No, sometimes when the Bible's talking about the Gospel, you know, especially in the Old Testament, there wasn't as much revealed about the Gospel, was there? But it was, the, it was the Gospel. Later on in the New Testament, more is revealed about the Gospel. It's the same Gospel, we just have more details about it now. But what do they want to do? We get more details, it just creates a whole new Gospel. That's stupid. Okay? And that, that doesn't make any sense at all. So what are these additional events that we see in Matthew 24? Well, I personally think one of the things we see are the great exploits of Daniel 11 and verse 31. Go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 11. Let me show you something here. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 31. It says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and they shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So notice it mentions the abomination of desolation. But those that know the Lord will be strong and do exploits. In Matthew chapter 24, look what it says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. You all see that? So we see in Matthew 24, while all this stuff's going on, while being persecuted, you know what? The gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world. I believe that's the great exploits. Those of you who know the Lord, we're going to be strong. We're going to do exploits. We're going to be spreading the gospel. I'm not going to go hiding during that time. Okay? I'm not going to spend the last months that we're going to be on this earth hiding in the woods somewhere. When all I'm going to do is just survive, you know, a few months longer for the rapture. I would rather be doing great exploits. Yeah, but what if you get killed? I'll rise again in just a few months. Alright? I'm not going to be dead very long. I'm not going to waste my time hiding out in a cabin just trying to survive. I'm going to, I'm going to do exploits. That, that, that is my plan. I have no plan of hiding. And so, uh, I personally think we're going to get beheaded. That's an easy way to go, if you ask me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. So, it meant, so, the great exploits, look at verse 15 of Matthew 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. So, it mentions the abomination of desolation. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it kind of just hits the main events. Okay, It hits the main events. It doesn't go into all the details. It doesn't go into all the signs. It just uh, mainly covers the big signs. All right, And it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, 
<clears throat> Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That is a reference to the abomination of desolation. So this is showing Second Thessalonians uh, you know, proves that the events of Matthew 24 are for us. It's the same order. And I heard Brian Dingdonger the other day. He was like talking about how, you know, those, those post-tribbers, you know, we talk about how, you know, this is during our time, but he's like, you know, what does it say in Second Thessalonians chapter 2? It says there's going to be a falling away first. Daniel says they're going to do great exploits. There's going to be a revival that's going to take place. So what's it going to be? A great revival or a falling away? It's like, you know, and, you know, and I, I, what, what do you expect from Brian Denlinger? I mean, but that's just, that's such a stupid argument. It says in Daniel, those that do know the Lord will be strong and do exploits. Just because most of the world is going down the toilet and it's clear most of the world's going down the toilet, it doesn't mean that that remnant can't be out there, you know, kicking some rear and doing some great things for the Lord. And I believe that's exactly what we're going to be doing. Unfortunately, I do believe, while I do believe that we will be seeing, those of us who do know the Lord will be seeing a lot of people saved like we never did personally before. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to be such a small minority. Yes, most of the world's going to be going down the toilet too. Okay? But listen, just because most churches today are lame and aren't, aren't even soul winning at all, and are just dead as a doornail, and you know America's going downhill, that doesn't take away from the fact that, hey, our church is doing great. Our church is seeing souls saved like crazy. Are we not? Are we not doing exploits right now? So the thing is, you know, we're just, those who do know the Lord, you know, we're going to be the ones doing the exploits. Okay? We're going to be doing great things. And, you know, it's nice being a part of a church. It doesn't have to just go along with what the rest of the world's doing. And the rest of the world, the rest of the churches are going down the toilet. But you know what? We don't have to do that. We're, we're overcoming and doing great things. So that's just another stupid argument. Just one more thing, trying to show there's a difference. And, you know, we're wrong. No, you just don't have a clue what you're talking about. That's all there is to it. So, uh, no, so notice a third thing too that we see in Matthew 24. So it mentions the great exploits, the gospel kingdom being preached in all the world. It mentions the abomination of desolation. And then in verse 23, it, uh, it says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall sow great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So the third thing is false Christ showing great signs and wonders. Revelation 6 doesn't talk about that in that chapter. In Revelation 6, later, when it gets to the vision of the beast and the false prophet, it covers that in detail. Okay, In Re- Revelation 6 does not cover this. However, it is, I believe, one of the things that's going to happen during that time. And in notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 again, <clears throat> verse 8, it says, and this is after the abomination of desolation, it says, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, what's it saying right there? It's saying after the abomination of desolation, then the wicked will be revealed. People will try to say, well, no, that's when he's going to you know, come and defeat the Antichrist then. And you mid-trivers say the rapture is going to come right, right around that time. But, you know, this is talking about Armageddon when he destroys them. But notice, it's not saying at that specific time, he, the Lord's going to destroy him. No, it says after that, during that time of the abomination of desolation, then that wicked will be revealed. The Antichrist will clearly be revealed at the abomination of desolation. Okay, all these other signs, we may not know for sure that we are actually in this, those times. We might not. I think we probably will, but I don't know that. I can't prove that. But I do know there is no doubt 
we will know the abomination of desolation when it happens. We will know that. And that's why Matthew 24, Jesus said, when ye shall see the abomination of desolation. He said, here's these other things that are going to happen. It's like, but when you see this, alright, this is when you know. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, when you're saying, and then, talking about at the abomination of desolation, that wicked shall be revealed. And who is that wicked? It's that wicked whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So Christ's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, just like we see in Matthew 24 when it says many false prophets shall arise and show so great signs and wonders. These things are going to happen before Christ comes. And so right there, once again, 2 Thessalonians 2 lines up perfectly with Matthew 24. It uses the same wording. And Matthew 24 lines up perfectly with Revelation 6. Nothing in here conflicts with each other. Okay? According to what we teach on end times, okay? According to what post-tribbers teach on end times, nothing conflicts in order of events with Matthew 24, Revelation 6, and 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, the pre-tribbers will tell you over and over again that there's lots of conflicts. Yes, with their timeline. And that's why they're like, no, the, you know, these, these things are out of order according to your preconceived idea. Okay? But not with what we teach. Maybe with a misrepresentation of what we teach, but not with what we teach. There is nothing out of order. They line up perfectly. So look at verse 12. <clears throat> so right here, this is a very important event. This is a very important event that pre-tribbers are silent about right now and there's a really good reason for it, okay? Has anybody ever done something just really, really embarrassing? And, you know, when you do something embarrassing, like if you fall down or something, first thing you do is you look around to see if anybody saw it, right? It's the first thing you do. You don't check to see if you're hurt or you broke anything. You check to see if anybody's watching, okay? And then if somebody does watch, you know, you, you, hope, you just hope they forget about it, right? You don't bring it up. Hey, you remember last week when you saw me fall on my face? Wasn't that funny? You don't do that, do you? You hope it never comes up. All right? You hope they don't bring it up. You hope they don't have it. They got a picture of it or a video of it. You just want to forget it ever happened. You want to tell me something? You want me to tell you something that pre-tribbers just want us to forget about? And I ain't going to forget about it. You know what they want us to forget about? The blood moons thing. Uh, was that 2016? John Hagee and his stupid blood moons of 2016. These guys, all these pre-trivers were all fired up about the blood moons during that time. And during that whole debacle, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these preachers talk about the blood moons. Hey, something's coming up. You know, September this year. I don't know. You know, look at all these signs. Something, something big's going to happen in Israel. And Hagee was out to say it. I mean, there is no doubt something significant is going to happen in Israel. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. And the pre-tribbers want us to forget how they were all talking. Charles Hiltabittle was talking about the blood moons. He would like to forget about that. He's not talking about the blood moons anymore. No, none of the pre-tribbers are talking about the blood moons anymore. We're just supposed to forget about it. And I should have been, I should have been saving audio clips and video clips during all that time. I should have been doing that. So I could throw it in their face right now. But I will not let them forget the hype over the blood moons and how nothing happened. And, he, and here's the thing. I'm, during the whole thing, and there was one preacher in particular, I will not mention, who was really excited about the blood moons. And I just, I wanted to go talk to him and say, hey, have you ever studied the verses about the sun being darkened and moon into blood verses? Because if this, what is coming is related to the blood moon in the Bible, your theology is really messed up. Okay, Y'all realize the sun being dark and the moon turning into blood is the sixth seal. Okay, The pre-tribbers have been saying for years 
that we're out of here before that happens. That it's after the tribulation of those days that the sun is darkened and the moon has turned to blood. And yet these people are all getting excited. If that was the blood moon, what was, if, what was, if, you know, we're in 2016 and in September we got the blood moon coming, shouldn't that have told all of them we are in the tribulation and it's almost done? But they didn't. They just listened to John Hagee. What, and how did, what did John Hagee just have to do? Something's, something's going to happen with Israel. Something with Israel. And they all went nuts over it. And they all talked about it. Charles Hiltabittle, Brian Sharp, all the prophecy guys, they were all hyping up the blood moons and they want us to forget about it. But you know what? I'm not going to forget about it. And you know what? It's because they are clueless when it comes to what the Bible says about the blood moon. Because when you study the blood moon, if you study that, it is crystal clear in the Bible that the wrath of God does not come until after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood. And if they recognize that, then all of a sudden, they lost their main verse to prove the pre-trib argument We've not been appointed unto wrath. They lost that. Because the wrath of God does not come until after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood. Let me prove this to you. Let's read in verse 12. And I beheld it when he had opened the sixth seal. Lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll. Hey, pre-tribbers! But why are you singing? It is well with my soul when it says, And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Guess when the heaven departs as a scroll, pre-trivers? At the sixth seal. Which you all want to act like. when you're, They're all singing that song. It could happen right now. You better hope not. Otherwise, we're in the tribulation. And it's almost over. You see just how clueless these people are when it comes... They, they have no idea what this event is. They've never studied it because if they study it, they're gonna, it's going to prove too much of their theology wrong. So it says, it says, "...and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now let me show you, I'm gonna, the, once again, you've all heard when your kids are arguing, and one starts losing the argument. That's when the other kid just starts calling you a duty head or something like that. The argument gets real stupid. Okay? Let me show you some examples of how stupid these arguments are. Folks, these are common arguments. All right? I'm not just picking some redneck preacher who just you know, came up with this. They all teach this stuff. They'll read that verse, the great day of His wrath has come. Looks like the wrath of God's going on to me. Looks to me like all of Revelation chapter 6 is the wrath of God. Once again, stupid argument. After the sun is dark and the moon's turned to blood, they see Him. Why? Because behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him. Okay? And they're going to mourn when they see Him. Why? Because when they see Him, they're going to say, the great day of His wrath is come. In other words, here He is, we're in trouble. Now this is where, and I don't have time to go into all this, just stupid statements that get made to try to disprove what we teach. And it's just so foolish. And I don't know if these people just clearly don't understand what we teach and they're just ignorant or if this is just lies and desperation. Okay? Because it is so clear what's going on here. So look at Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, oh, they hate that verse. They hate it so much because we throw it in their face over and over again. And I will continue to throw it in their face. After the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, 
and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Can there be any doubt that this is not the same event that we're seeing in Revelation chapter 6? Is it not perfectly clear that the Re- what takes place here in Revelation chapter 6 is after the tribulation? Okay, the Bible says it. I'm not implying it. It says it. It's after the tribulation. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and He shall send His angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And they want to say that's not our rapture. Even though it looks exactly like what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's the same wording as in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, are gathering together unto Him. Same thing. Same order of events. Same thing. But And, and most pre-tribbers, they won't even deny that the events of Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 line up. They won't deny that. They just say this is all for the Jews. It's just for the Jews. This is what they do. This is not, it's about us. But they'll ignore 2 Thessalonians 2. They will not even try to put 2 Thessalonians 2 because, once again, if they see that lines up perfectly to those events, they have a huge problem because it makes it clear that it's for us too. But let's focus on the sixth seal. They don't want to talk about the sixth seal. Okay? They are, they are embarrassed, and they are embarrassed about the blood moon hoax of 2016. They're embarrassed about it. And they should be. And this individual I was talking about, one of the reasons I didn't say a whole lot is I was really, really hoping after this came and went and nothing happened, as I knew it would, tried to warn them, that's not really how it works. I was hoping they would be devastated and their faith would be shaken and then they would be open to now hearing the truth. Now, now let somebody who actually knows the Bible tell you about the blood moon. But it, it, didn't, it didn't matter. Okay. So once again, and do you think the blood moon conversation ever came up after September 2016? Nope. Absolutely not. You were just supposed to forget it happened. Never let them forget it, folks. Always remember the blood moons and always throw it in their face. Alright? That's a bad attitude. I don't know. I don't care. So, is the wrath of God before the sixth seal or after the sixth seal? See, if we're right... It makes perfect sense that we go out after the sixth seal because the seventh seal is the wrath of God. People want to, they, the people want to make the seventh seal. It's like, well, according to what you're teaching, you know, the seventh seal, something's got to happen in the seventh seal. No. When the seventh seal is broken, we now can see the wrath of God. You all get that? Okay. With all of these seals, when they're broken, it would say, come and see when the seventh seal is broken, you know what we see? The wrath of God. Y'all understand that? Okay? The seventh seal is when the wrath of God is revealed. Okay? We don't need an extra vision. We don't need an extra event. What does it say when he breaks the seventh seal? I saw seven angels getting ready to sound seven trumpets. Why? Because those seven trumpets are revealing the wrath of God. Okay? So the six, the, the rapture is going to come after the sixth seal, which makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that after the sixth seal, they would say, hide us from the face of him. And, you know, for the great day of his wrath is come. It makes perfect sense. And some people are going to try to say I'm wrong because they're saying the great day of his wrath is come because they're seeing him in Revelation 6. But, you know, I love when they bring that up because... The appearing of Jesus begins the day of His wrath. Look, the day of His appearing, it begins the day of His wrath. Okay? But there's something Jesus has to do first before He pours out His wrath. He has to remove the believers. That's what He always does. That's what He did in the days of Noah. Everybody has to go, as it was in the days of Noah. And what do they do? They start talking about giants and Nephilim and you know all this all this kind of crazy stuff. But no, 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 no. As in the days of Noah, and as in the days of Lot. Well, look at all the you know Sodomites that are going all over you know all over the land today, just like it was in the days of Lot. Luke seventeen twenty eight. Let's see what it says. 
It's amazing how much clear scripture you have to explain to people because just years and years of camp meetings have brainwashed people into just stupid interpretation. Luke 17, 28 says, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day, this is what it means as in the days of Lot. They were doing all their thing. And the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So guess what? When they see Him, why? Because behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him. When He comes in the clouds, guess what He's going to do? The Lord Himself is going to descend from heaven with the shout of the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Right? We're going to go up. He's taken us out. But then the rest of the world's going to see Him. And they're not going up. And they're going to see that we are in trouble. Why? Because the great day of His wrath has come. And He has pulled us out. We are now in heaven. And then He begins His wrath. Okay? And it's the same day. Okay? The same day. So that that's why we see the sixth seal. They're going to see Him. That's when the rapture is going to come. And then, boom, seventh seal. In other words, wrath of God is poured out. And it does not make any sense to say God's wrath comes before the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood. You can try to twist those words in Revelation 6 all you want, even though they're pretty clear. You can try to twist them. But let's look at some Old Testament verses. Alright? They want to ignore these ones too. Acts 2.20 The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Oh, Jesus, rapture coming any moment. He's coming like a thief in the night. No, the day of the Lord's coming as a thief in the night. And guess what happens before that? The sun's going to be turned to dark, darkened and the moon's going to be turned into blood. Before. Okay, that's the sixth seal. They don't want to bring that up. And guess what? The sixth seal doesn't come. The sun's not darkened and the moon turned to blood until after the tribulation. This stuff is irrefutable, folks. It just, it can't be refuted. All they can do is run down Ruckmanite rabbit trails to try to get everybody lost and confused in the conversation. Clear scripture is always, always ignored. Um, I'm going to skip some of these verses. Jump down to Isaiah 13. Well, I, I can't skip these. I've got to prove this. Qu- real quick. 1 Thessalonians 5. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, which we know comes after the sun is dark and the moon turned to blood, so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now it's very clear here that judgment comes after the day of the Lord, or on the day of the Lord. Well, what happens before the day of the Lord? The sun's dark and the moon turned to blood. Right here in 1 Thessalonians 5, right before it says, for we have not been appointed unto wrath, when talking about the day of the Lord, it is clear God's wrath comes at the day of the Lord. But that doesn't happen until the sun is dark and the moon turns to blood. That happens before. Okay? And you know what before means in the Greek? Before. Previously. Alright? First. Alright? It's going to happen before these things. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's wanting people to get saved. But, okay, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Okay? Once again, the day of, it talks about the day of the Lord, and then what does it talk about? The wrath of God. Why? Because the wrath of God comes at the day of the Lord. What has to happen before the wrath, the day of the Lord? Sun has to be dark and the moon turned to blood. That's why they don't study that, folks. That's why they just read John Hagee's book. It's more entertaining. And John Hagee's book fits their timeline. Isaiah 13, 6. How ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt. And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. That kind of reminds me of the elements melting with the fervent heat. Alright? And I don't have time to explain the whole concept of day of the Lord, Old Testament, you know, coming day of the Lord. But there's clearly a parallel here 
uh, kind of a dual meaning here. But look at this. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. What comes at the day of the Lord? Wrath and fierce anger. To lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it, for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man that, uh, than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of His fierce anger. What, very clear. When does the wrath of God come? At the day of the Lord. There's, there's no doubt about it. These morons that want to say everything in Revelation 6 is the wrath of God are denying Old Testament and New Testament Scriptures that proves that the wrath of God comes at the day of the Lord. And if, you, if you're not talking about the sixth seal, if you want to trick these people, all you've got to do is you've got to go to them and say, when do you, if you, just ask, you know, when do you believe the wrath of God comes? Do you believe the wrath of God comes before the day of the Lord or after the day of the Lord? And they're all going to say, you know, after or at the day of the Lord. That's what they're all going to say. And then, that's when you hit them with, but the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great notable day of the Lord come. And Matthew 24 says, after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon turned into blood. You all see? Thief in the night. Thief in the night. <laughs> Eminence Eminency. That's what, they, that's what they run away screaming. We're going to have another planet one of these days. You know, zombie apocalypse. You know, they start going under all the Ruckmanite fairy tales. And that's when they're, you know, and after you deal with that, that's when they're calling up Sam Gipp and asking him to come preach for them. Because they can't, they can't handle it. That's what Keith Gomez had to do. And you all know what, how that blew up in his face. But to say God's wrath comes before the sixth seal is a denial of clear Scripture from Old and New Testaments. And the pre-tribbers have to ignore this. They have to ignore it. They have to ignore it because they're embarrassed, because of the blood moon hoax of 2016 they all got caught up in, and because of the fact it destroys their timeline. It takes away their main verse that gets us out of here before the tribulation. We've not been appointed under wrath. How can they say that the tribulation is the wrath of God? When it's, there is no doubt spelled out multiple times that the day of the Lord comes after the tribulation. It's, it's over, folks. It's over for them. And they have to deny this because, once again, too, Revelation 7 is clearly the rapture. And I will leave no doubt about that. And, and when we go through Revelation 7 next week, there is no doubt that we see what we see in Revelation 7 taking place is the rapture. And all I have to say to pre-tribbers is checkmate. It's done. You can, they can flip the table all they want. They can go listen to Ruckmanite fairy tales all they want. They can go read their Left Behind books all they want. But you know what? They, can't, they cannot back that up with their theory up with the Bible. They cannot refute what I just taught you. There's, there's nothing they can do except to try to find some little word discrepancy here to kind of prove that something's different. And then that just throws that, like that, like that throws everything out. You know, it's just, it's over for them, folks. The pre-trib doctrine is dying. And as that carcass is laying there dying, bleeding out, I'm just taking this opportunity to just go step on their throat. And I'm enjoying every minute of it. And I, I, thank, I thank God there's an awakening on this. And we need to continue getting the word out. Wake people up. Because we've got a bunch of Christians that just kind of have this, you know, at, they, they don't have the right kind of attitude. They are not 
mentally prepared. They're not spiritually prepared for what's to come. And they need to. When it all starts going down, their first instinct is going to be, we got to hide. No, they don't. They don't need to hide. They need to go out there and they need to do something for the cause of Christ. And then, you know, and that, that's why we see too, people trying to criticize churches like Faithful Word, you know, because they've had these confrontations with the police. You know, we just, we just need to get along. Let's just get along with them until Jesus returns. Yeah, these same clowns that are criticizing them are going to be criticizing us when we're not taking the mark of the beast. And I, I believe that with all my heart. And so, we need, to be, we need to be toughening up during this time. So, I hope this was a blessing. Let's go and pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. I pray, uh, thank You so much for uh, just how clear these Scriptures are. Lord, You've, just, you've left no doubt uh, of the truth on this subject. And Lord, I, just, uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, You will continue opening the eyes of people. And Lord, those whose eyes have been opened, they've been stubborn. Dear God, I just pray You'll soften their hearts and uh, You'll help them to, to get right. Uh, and uh, just uh, realize just the foolishness of of the pre-trib doctrine. And I pray you'll help us to uh, you know have a good attitude, Lord. It, get, it does get aggravating and frustrating just listen to all the stupidity and foolishness. But I pray you'll just help us to continue just uh, spreading the truth to whoever wants to hear it, and that we will uh, strengthen ourselves and get ourselves ready for what you said is going to come, and we'll see uh, great things happen in your name. We pray, Amen. Let's go. Ahead.